My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards, he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Working in campus ministry, one of our goals is not simply to minister to the, the Catholic students who are looking for a community where they can continue to grow in their Catholic Christian faith, but also to try to come up with ideas events, lectures that might engage others on the university campus. And without a doubt, the most successful event ever was a few years back when we hosted a Vatican-trained exorcist to come and speak about his experiences in dealing with people who were possessed by the devil. We had posted flyers, gotten the word out about this night with the exorcist, and reserved this large conference room for the talk. And it's always Hard to tell what's catching students' attention or not. With so many sources of information, too many invitations and requests, and just distractions altogether, you can never really be sure what's trending on campus, or as my generation would put it, what's got buzz around it. But this was by far and away the most popular thing we've ever done. No doubt there's a curiosity factor. Movies and television programs have all done different takes on demonic possession multiple times. And also having the event just a couple of weeks before Halloween definitely helped with our marketing. But I have to admit that it was a bit unnerving to me the day of the event. We had Channel 2 and Channel 7 News calling and having reporters looking to do interviews. We had it land on the front page of the Star-Ledger the day of the event with the newspaper reporter actually calling the priest directly and having an interview with him and doing a preview story. Seeing crowds of people lining up before closed doors 
30 minutes before the program was set to begin was all unexpected. We're so used to working hard to promote events and being intentional and invitational in our outreach to people that just seeing this take off, we're nowhere near the amount of effort and promotion we do on a regular basis, took me aback. Well over 700 people sat on the edges of their seats and listened to this very soft-spoken, really laid-back priest just standing at a podium with his notes in the Bible for an hour-long presentation and then remained for another 90 minutes for a Q&A. The priest shared his experiences of encountering legitimate demonic possessions and all the bizarre stories where people levitate, spoke in bizarre voices and strange languages, all the stuff that you might have seen in those movies or shows he talked about. And it was fascinating seeing and hearing people's reactions as the night went on. But what I was most surprised by was the reaction and the impressions that people had in the aftermath, the day after the event. One of the classes on campus, which isn't like a Christian class or anything even remotely described as promoting the Catholic faith, had encouraged their students to attend the event, and then the next day they were going to discuss it. And I was invited in to come as a guest to help answer any follow-up questions and just help them to process and discuss it. And this class had this range of kids who described themselves as atheist or agnostic, non-Christian, or the majority of whom were raised Christian or Catholic but not really practicing. But all of them talked about how, as the priest described things, he encountered in exorcisms in pretty elaborate detail, which freaked them out. He was so very matter-of-fact about it. He was really unimpressed. He was unmoved by it. He talked about it like a fireman who's seen an entire building engulfed, floors collapsing, and just calmly talking about getting in and getting out of that situation. And one of the kids who had identified himself as an agnostic said, I was just amazed at this guy's faith, that he was able to face all that stuff and talk about it so dispassionately. And another kid picked up on that saying, yeah, this priest was just this very humble, simple guy, and he's telling these different stories about, and all these people around us are reacting and freaking out, and he just kept coming back to the fact that Jesus Christ was far more powerful and that that's the thing that's more impressive. I have to admit, I was relieved that that was the thing that registered, that this wasn't a glamorization of evil, but rather a testimony to the faith in Jesus Christ. But even more interesting to me was when the professor had asked, what was the thing that surprised students the most? And after just the fact that this stuff is real and that it really happens, it's not just a Hollywood thing, was that they didn't realize that Satan didn't just attack people and overtake them or something like that. That the devil didn't just somehow get into unsuspecting people. But that people had somehow, in some way, invited these evil forces in. That in the end, those who were suffering from all these things had in some way cooperated with evil. Which to me was the most important thing, especially working with young people. Because while it was very important to underline the fact that while demonic possession is real, that it's very, very, very rare. That over 99% of the time when the priest gets a phone call, he said that he, he finds most of the time he's just dealing with people who are having a spiritual crisis or even a mental or psychological illness that legitimately need help, but they don't need an exorcist. 
But aside from his being an exorcist, he's also the pastor of a parish. And he said the greater issue, the greater problem, the greater threat for the greatest number of people isn't demonic possession, but rather it's us not taking our encounters with temptation more seriously, not being more vigilant in confronting evil in our own lives. Do we recognize those voices, those influences that that tempt us in very seemingly small ways, tempt us to go against what we know is right and do something we know is wrong? On this first Sunday of Lent, right as we've entered a season where we're invited to repent and believe in the gospel, perfectly timed, we have a gospel that forces us to confront those questions. Every year we hear how the devil in all his arrogance goes after Jesus. And it's helpful for us to look at how he does what he does and how it could be similar for each of us. The tempter comes at Jesus with things that you could even hear tinges of logic attached to it, that people could even say, what's really so wrong with that, like as we're trying to justify it? The first temptation is right after Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and not our watered down, you can only eat one full meal and two smaller meals not equal to one full meal and no meat. He fasted. He had nothing to eat for 40 days. So it's a slight understatement on Matthew's, the gospel writer's part, to say he was hungry. He was probably ravenous by that point. So he's walking along, he's making this long trek back from the desert, and you can almost hear the tempter's voice saying, you've been so good, you're so self-disciplined, you're so faithful. You deserve a loaf of bread. You have the ability to turn these stones into bread. God, God won't mind. It's no different than when you and I are tempted to find an easy way out, a way to cut corners. Aren't we constantly bombarded with temptations to take care of our bodily needs or desires or wants? And even when we do that, we never seem fulfilled. We've gotten to a place where we almost believe we have a right to pamper ourselves. And then to speak for God with, he'll understand. I have a good friend who had stopped going to Sunday Mass for a long time. And when he talked about it, he said he never understood why or how it happened. He said he had been so faithful, he had been so consistent most of his life, but then he started working hard, he got busy, got tired. And then one weekend he said he just decided he was going to sleep in, all while saying, well, God will understand. But when he gave in to the temptation once, when he allowed his commitment and faithfulness to be undermined in that one occasion, which had never really happened before, it became easier and easier to do that on other occasions to where this former daily mass going Bible study leader found himself awkwardly trying to find out what a church's Christmas mass schedule was. While God does want us to take care of ourselves and does want us to enjoy the blessings that he's poured out on us, We have to be cautious when we start looking to make our own blessings for our own wants and our own desires, when we want to make our own loaves of bread, rather than gratefully acknowledging the ones that God supplied. In that second temptation, where Jesus is brought to the temple and challenged to throw himself from the heights to see if his heavenly Father will send his angels to catch him, 
The tempter is basically calling Jesus' relationship with God into question. He's saying to Jesus, if you're truly God's beloved son, he's going to catch you. Aren't all of us constantly finding our identity being similarly tested? The fact that we have a loving father who looks at us as his beloved sons and daughters is under assault by voices that ask, if that's true, then why are you suffering from that illness? Or why did that heathen get that promotion or that better grade than you who went to Mass? Why haven't you found the love of your life? The devil is constantly tempting us to test God to prove his love for us, undermining a a faith-filled, trusting relationship that believes God never stops casting his loving eyes on each of us, that God is with us when we face trials and failures and setbacks, And he's constantly reaching out to us to help guide and direct us. Just as he's regularly pouring out his grace and his blessings and his favor in our lives, hoping that we will receive it with thanksgiving. And in that final confrontation, Jesus being tempted to worship Satan (laughs) seems the most far-fetched for the devil to even propose. It seems ridiculous to even imagine that Jesus would even consider it even if it is for all the kingdoms of the world. And while it seems far-fetched to us, in a sense, we encounter that temptation as well, and a lot more often than we even realize. Think about it. Who are we desperate to impress or get their attention? What compromises would we make or do we make to be more popular or to win the praise of some friends or family members or our bosses? What are we willing to do to get ahead of someone else? Who do we have to throw under the bus? When being God's beloved sons and daughters, for whatever reason, ceases to be enough, when we fall for the lie that we're missing something and start to seek it elsewhere, we might not be a full-on devil worshiper, but the tempter is happy for just that slight turning away from God. For however long that glance is turned away from our loving Father, and toward toward anything else, all with the hopes that the next time and the time after that, that glance, that turn, will be for just a little bit longer than before. This isn't about us being guilted and shamed as bad people. This isn't to fear us into thinking that we risk falling into the clutches of the devil in need of an exorcist. The devil is far more satisfied with us being lukewarm to the voice of God, being indifferent to Jesus' love for us. When we received our ashes on Wednesday, we were invited to repent and believe in the gospel. And Jesus is lovingly calling us to turn away from all those lies about who we are and to remember who God created us to be. He's calling us to reject all those voices that undermine our faith and trust in his loving Father. He's calling us not to be seduced by the things of this world and to reorient ourselves towards him and the life that he's calling us to live both here and now and for all eternity. Our being here is a great and important start. And embracing the practices of Lent where fasting, where I sacrifice something or almsgiving where I help someone who has no way of paying me back 
or increasing my prayer, where I simply spend more time with the Lord, all these help me in responding to those calls to return to the Lord with our full hearts this Lenten season. But maybe it's been a while since we've been to confession. And the gift of the sacrament of reconciliation is that we have an opportunity to lay bare of all the things that we've been burdened with and let Jesus lovingly wipe them away as we're healed and restored. Because the truth of the matter is, and the good news, is that no matter where we are in our faith lives, God the Father loves us. He believes in us. He has hope in humanity, despite how wayward or distant we can become at times. His hope is never diminished. He sent his son Jesus to hell and back, that we would truly know that and hopefully embrace this truth, and the more importantly, embrace him. This Lent, will we make decisive moves to do just that?